We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. It's November 1st. I'm Camille Foster. I am so excited to be here. Yesterday was my birthday. It was very exciting. I don't need to wait for anyone else to mention it. I, I, wait, did I say happy birthday? No, I meant to say happy birthday. You happy birthday. Did. I did on Twitter. Yeah. I did. Welch did on Twitter. Did Moynihan didn't say a word. He didn't say anything, but Oh, I wrote, it. I wrote a letter. I just <laughs> didn't, I didn't said have postage. Yeah, I understand. It's <laughs> fine. It. It's yeah. fine. I just want you all to know that I am aging gratefully and gracefully. Um, and I'm um, mm-hmm. not a day over. I'm not embarrassed by my age. It's fine. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I don't look it. I look mm-hmm. spectacular. And I've yet to peak mm-hmm. physically, mentally, or anything, any other way. I mean, it's just amazing. And Penis it's terrifying sleep. for the rest of you. So here I am. Michael Moynihan is also here. Matt Welch is also here. <laughs> Delighted to have both of them. Not age flint. <laughs> well, you know, we can't have it all. <laughs> Look, can we just can we just talk about? Yeah, something? let's talk about it. This is like super. What are we talking about? Oh no. Oh, no. We are broadcasting live from Hammertown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We were talking about. It Jesse. wasn't Hammer, by the no. way. No, we were talking about Jesse, not Hammertown. No, no. not Hammer. Because he never said Hammy Town. Yeah. He said, Hammertown. It was like one, <laughs> Hammertown. Um, we were talking about that before. And about, Jesse did apologize for that, um, for his anti-Semitism, which um, I think he remained anti-Semitic <laughs> after that. But, um, no, we were talking about some important issues. And we've been talking about very serious things. Uh, this was a topic of some seriousness, but with a less serious... Uh, we were talking about the women of the IDF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Dedicated. The fighting force, because there's yes. nobody... Are you attracted to anyone in Hamas? No, you're not. So who who do you want to win? Hezbollah? <laughs> no, God, no. They're worse. The Quds forces. The no, Quds force. No, they don't let them. Yeah. They don't let them uh, join the, the Houthis. No, the Houthis are definitely no chi- no chicks in the Houthis. Actually, did you see the Israeli female uh, IDF uh, anti Houthi Yemeni Israeli soldiers? No. Video. Are they? Yeme- oh God, I love them. <laughs> I love them. Don't make any arguments to me about anything. This is the only thing that matters to me. If I, if you don't have, if you're like full of babes, and maybe they're just doing this in AI to, to trick me because they're losing the battle, according to something I saw in Semaphore today on uh, TikTok, where the majority, vast majority of TikTok stuff about this conflict is pro-Palestinian. So, and um, well, yeah. I have a, I have it on good authority, um, meaning my fifteen-year-old uh, daughter. <laughs> Um, she's like, yeah, you know, and she goes to a school that's uh, a couple blocks from the UN, so there yeah. has a lot of international. So parents. her school is like has resolutions against Israel every morning. <laughs> uh, they, I mean, there was a big protest outside of her school, and like not towards her uh, school, uh, just a couple of days ago. Mm. Uh, but she's uh, determined with her friends, like, yeah, it seems like uh, complicated, yeah. and like the it goes stretches back a, a long time, mm. a lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> um, we figure that it, it might be hard right. to figure out, and I wish everyone else thought that. And so, uh, uh, and this is I'm uh, paraphrasing her, quoting her. Uh, she's like, "I just figured that probably I'm on the side that's not killing babies." Wow! Honest. Yeah! Wow! Yeah. yeah, that's a bold yeah. position. Yeah. That is a bold position. You've raised her wow. right, Matt. It's Welch. a tough position. in New York yeah. City. Yeah, I'd know it has <laughs> nothing to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> I, Let's be honest. Well, She's an Andrew Tate like a uh, consumer, so like, th- yeah. do you allow that? 
How he's, could she, he's how could an, he stop I didn't know it. he was a Muslim. Yeah, he's a Did new you know convert, that? though. Yeah, yeah. I told her like he's, he's a, a con. Yeah, he's but he's new. like yeah. zeal of a yeah, convert, yeah. right? Yeah. He's like if he wasn't in a Romanian jail, he'd probably. Be well, now that you mentioned, I haven't seen him in a while. I mean, is there any chance he's he's found a way to Gaza? I know he was on house arrest, but. There's two things, Camille, that I don't <laughs> understand. And you as the young person here at 43 uh, can maybe explain to us um, uh, the appeal of Andrew Tate and the appeal of Foxy yeah. Red, which is um, something I, I heard about for the first time because it was posted by um, a, racist, <laughs> a racist account. But what's that guy's name? Um, what's the, he's like, he's never know. been to America. Ian is he Chong racist? or something. Ian Miles, Ian Miles Chong. Chong. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. He just is obsessed with like, here's a black person doing something bad. It's like, you know, I don't know what this is related to, but you just love to do this. And he posted, I think it was him who posted um, a video of somebody called Foxy Red, who has like 80 yeah, billion what is, views. What is her song? In the Pound song, Town? It's called yes. Pound Town. Yeah, she's a rapist. And she sounds, she, you have yeah. to listen to this. Like, honestly, everyone stop the recording right now. I don't even care if you come back. We get the download. It's fine. Um, listened to Pound Town, the song. It literally sounds like she has a massive head injury. She's like, Pound Town, go come Pound Town. It's like unbelievable. I thought it was a joke. And then there's like 9 million views. And I'm like, okay, I have become the old person. I was like, what is wrong with you people? What is wrong with this generation who loves Hamas and... Um, I, can I can I tell the truth here? So, um, I may be the young one on the podcast, yes, but yes. I will tell you that I've never heard the song. I know about this person, Sexy Red, um, which is her actual name, Sexy Red. Um, <laughs> I, and I, I dispute whether or not it's sexy, it's, Foxy. What did I say? Was, what did I there say? There was a, ra- a rapper named Foxy Ra- Brown who uh, was a lady. Foxy. And Foxy Brown also black exploitation. Yeah, film. yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> And also a great actor and <laughs> yes. comedian named Red Fox. No relation. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So this yeah, pound right, song, yeah, I have not, yeah. I've not heard. Uh, but I am looking right now <laughs> at going, Rap Genius, uh, where uh, Sexy Red explains yeah. yes. a bit about Pound Town. So I'm, I won't play it. But I think we should perhaps okay, listen. Okay, let's. To are we gonna hear this? What? Yeah, let's play it. Let's play it. I'm out of town. Thug with Moran, my coochie pink, my booty hole brown. It make everybody laugh when they first hear it. Well, they just be like, what the fuck she say? Like, it's just, it's a shock. This is verified. Did she just say my booty hole is brown? (laughs) This is verified on Rap Genius. She is explaining the lyrics. I have to say, she says that like it's a surprise. She's detailing the lyrics to the song. (laughs) And she explains the lyrics for the benefit of the audience here. So we'll, we'll sample a little more. Yeah. Or do you want to hear you the play, song? It's a, could you play the first? <laughs> I want to hear the first first like t- 10 seconds okay. of this song. It's like really important that our listeners Yeah. Well, this is why we do the show, about. For the Culture. Because I'm sure. it's a very short like song, most, by the Most way. of the yeah, songs, the, the big songs now, um, are, are really, really short. I mean, two minutes in length or, or such. Like um, That's good. So that's the sp- this is the spring break edition. I think this is racist. I think this is actually Somebody racist. Somebody should arrest those women. Oh, my no, gosh. No, they, they should actually be arrested. Oh, my Lord. No, it's in Miami. I'm so glad. Legal. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely Miami spring break. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness gracious. Ready? I think I just kind of the little bit. Ready? Ready here? I'm out of town, thuggin' with my round, my coochie pink, my booty hole brown. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't. I can't. I cannot. That's, uh, could you, I think Paul McCartney is like, oh, I love that. 24 million views. Booty Holes Brown. I imagine 24 million views. people who, who looked at this were not taking this seriously and think, oh, you know what? This is great. This they is were great not. Music. They were not wow. on Google Untrue. trying to buy a ticket to Pound Town. Yeah, the two percent were Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, that's like yeah, it's I think Chet Hanks Chet has Hanks tremendous amount right of talent by comparison. He might be one of the greatest <laughs> oh rappers of God, all time. Because by you're comparison. racist, Camille. This you're... is terrible. So what happened? It's the wow. worst thing I've ever heard in my life. It's like it's, I mean, I thought Ice yeah, Spice. Yeah, no, she is. She is pretty but, talented um, by comparison. Actually, the, the world has been. Yeah. By comparison, I mean, she's like Tchaikovsky <laughs> or something. He's a um, eater. He eat it for lunch. <laughs> she's like Dostoevsky. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Her booty hole brown. She was like, oh, my oh God. My town? Gosh. Brown? <laughs> wow. Um, she thought she was fucking E.E. E. Cummings right there. Um, no, but that was, the, my, that was an accident. That was an you, accident. You were putting that I'm on sorry. again? <laughs> I'm sorry. See... We should tell the people at home. Oh, by the way, did you notice that beneath that, I feel like now we're stealing shit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about this. Beneath that video, Camille, on because we can see Camille's screen, on the YouTube thing was was a uh, was a <laughs> Ben Shapiro. It was like, I can't believe this song is popular. I think he I'm going to play my violin. I didn't. Um, that makes absolutely yeah, made, no sense. Absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. Yeah. Oh, he got there oh, before no. us. I didn't know about this. I just saw it on Twitter the other day. So sorry, we're not. Wow, this we're not <laughs> yeah, uh, sad commentary on this podcast. <laughs> we've, we've been tied up behind. with other things. Yeah, yeah. We are like behind. Absolutely not true. Yeah, Ben Shapiro like mocking low culture. Yeah, no, but we we love low culture. We just don't like dumb low culture. That's just really bad. That's like a, a next level. But I have to say that you know, there's been so much madness in the world that we've been covering and talking about just like everybody else and you go to the new york times the first 50 stories are about what's happening in israel that i was like well, okay so what are we going to talk about today and uh we ended up on uh pound town and yeah we've, i didn't that's expect we, that. that's where we've started who knows where we'll end up Who, yes yeah. yes be, we're we are be in, anywhere we are in pound town right now yeah this looking. is this is a ladies choice podcast we began with the ladies of the idf we took yeah. you to pound town where yes. else will we go you say that, you ring us up, ladies, at one eight hundred. So yeah. sexy. I so. have to say, the the, the clip <laughs> I just saw of that video or too few um, makes me think. And I'm trying to get some revelatory out of this, some like real like smart content. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Is mm-hmm. I don't I actually now don't believe the gender is real because I've never seen women <laughs> act like that. That's like a men act like that. You have, yeah. to, you have to see the video the way well, they're men don't act like that actually they don't do the on the ground twerking um and there were there were there some was ladies uh, slapping them in the bone yeah yeah know? that's that's i mean you know they're being they're supported <laughs> to be supported it's like sports <laughs> <laughs> i can hear you all unsubscribe oh my god i can gosh. hear it now stop stop yeah. doing that it's just it's the least sexy thing in the world and it's also it, musically i mean it just it's like a genocide so, it is. It is like bad. considering everything is genocide now. Then this is, is it an open air prison? That I mean, yes. my mind is an open air prison. <laughs> <laughs> I've been imprisoned by Pound Town. Oh my gosh! I do think <laughs> this is actually actually Pound racist, Town. though. I think music like you think this the video is, is racist is racist, or just and I think it's a big deal when racist. I say so. So that's well, all. how, how Sorry, do you think yeah. it's racist? I don't explain. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I've heard that this is a thing and that it's really important and that white supremacy is perhaps the most urgent concern in America. And this video makes me think that's probably true. Yeah, this is um, not good for the culture is what you're saying. 
Yeah. Okay. No. No, this, this is brain this poison. This is brain poison. Oh what if your God. daughter was... I'm, who said that to me the other like, day? I was like, you know, girls your daughter's <laughs> age are like watching this on TikTok. I was like, I, I hope just will point true. out. Again. Can I tell you what Leah's passion is right yeah. now? Can I tell you what her passion is right now? The cranberries. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I let her here linger and she loved oh it. God. And she will not wow. stop singing it all over the house. It you is tell her how it's happy wonderful. the lead singer is. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't She's tell her. Though. She doesn't know what the song yeah. is about, but she loves it. You know, I'm such a fool I love that song, Camille. It's absolutely lovely. It's, she sings yeah, it with the like accent. A, it's funny. That's amazing. <laughs> it's the best thing. Pop! I've got to make it linger. <laughs> Fucking linger. Oh, can I tell a, a, a personal? This is like. Yeah. By the way, for the people out there, this is. Um, a freebie podcast, but this is essentially what the, the tape podcast because we usually do this stuff, not, but it's a lot going on. Um, yeah. My daughter found out because <laughs> my drunk ex. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm hey. sorry. I don't want to. I don't hey. want to reveal it. But she, I was, I was putting her. I was reading to uh, leave you to bed, mm-hmm. and we were reading um, uh, Agatha Christie, um, and she was kind of fell asleep, but then she didn't. She was clearly not. She got up to go to the bathroom. So, and Joanna got home. I was like there, and Joanna got home, and she'd been out with her friends. And she com- and Livia comes back into bed three seconds later, not hearing any of this. I mean, you have to kind of see and hear this. She comes in, and she's like, hey, hey, she's, she's asleep. And I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, don't tell her this, <laughs> but she's going to go see Taylor Swift in Ireland. Her cousin got her tickets. And then Livia said to me, she's like, you know, I'm going to see Taylor Swift and I don't know I was like I know your mom told me she's like yeah she told me too I was awake and I was like I know I was trying to tell her so Olivia's going to see Taylor Swift in Ireland so I was like I'm kind of bummed about the Taylor Swift thing because she was like you know all the girls are into it and she saw the movie Mm -hmm. with her friends the concert she was like it was the best yeah yeah she's like I gotta go see this This is the best like to stop making sense for teenagers and um, she used to have great uh, music taste so I'm telling you Mm -hmm. Camille it will ultimately be ruined by peer pressure. This is this is possible. I mean, I assume this she likes possible, her. But the stuff that Leah is into now, what Wait, resonates with her when I share music with her, um, it, it makes me very uh-huh. happy and it makes me optimistic. Like today, she she digs the Beatles. She likes most Def and Kanye, and she apparently now likes the Cranberries. And she says Linger is her she favorite song Definitely. in the world. Yeah. She likes the whitest, most Northern European 90s. <laughs> yeah, possible. Well, you know, p- right. part of it is what daddy is willing to introduce her to. And the only most of she a- song she actually knows is uh, is from a mixtape. I think some Japanese DJ. Um, and the song is Life is Good. And it's great. It's a beautiful, positive, optimistic song, as the title suggests. Okay. Um, and not to be confused with Future's uh, Life is Good. But at any rate. We could we could talk about something anyway, other than music. We do have some do. other things going on. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff happening. Donald Trump's uh, legal woes yeah. uh, continue uh, to uh, go on. I, I saw Donald Trump Jr. was in court today uh, testifying. Although at the time it seems like all he's really done, and he's a he's a witness for the prosecution at the moment. Um, he was just detailing his uh, role within the Trump organization. So nothing, no fireworks. But last week Wednesday, Donald Trump stormed out um, of court. Uh, and this is in the fraud case. It was like a $250 million fraud case with him overstating yeah. his net worth fraud case, yeah. uh, in order to get favorable yeah. treatment on his loans. <laughs> Which shocked everybody. <laughs> almost certainly true. In fact, I was about to say it's definitely course, true that he yeah. has done these these deeds. Um, 
So that's one of many legal cases he's facing. Some with respect to Stormy Daniels, the January 6th um, drama, the Georgia case, um, the January 6th federal case, the Georgia case with respect to the um, uh, election concerns. uh, And that is a a RICO case, big RICO case. Um, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just it is a complete mess. Oh, yeah. And the documents, the confidential documents case. (laughs) It's just in a world of trouble um but he's still up in the polls so well the poll that should be mentioned here and i had to pull this up quickly is the quinnipiac poll that was released today that says in a in um a three-way national race a national poll found that finds that rfk jr is getting 22 percent now i don't know how accurate this poll is if it's an outlier poll but that's a lot I mean, even Piac if that's off u- by 10%, that's a lot. Piac is usually pretty good. Usually pretty good, yeah. Uh, and there was another poll um, last week that was already eyebrow-raising that had him at like 14 or 15%. Yeah. Um, this is actually an undercovered story because he doesn't serve as much mm-hmm. purpose right now. He will soon, um, especially now that the Trump people will start to realize that he's pulling support from Trump, which mm-hmm. he is. Um, mm-hmm. And... Democrats will go from like, oh, my God, it's terrible. He's going to ruin the election for us to like, hmm, this might be useful. Um, The undercover part of the story is like, how the fuck is he going to get on 50 state ballots? Because there's a reason why Kanye, the birthday party, uh, uh, didn't get on 50 state ballots. Being rich is insufficient to get on 50 state ballots. It's a very onerous process. Um, and so this is why two or, you know, six weeks ago or so, um, there was a bit of a news boomlet that uh, RFK Jr. had been in conversations with the leadership of the Libertarian Party, um, at thinking about a possible run there because they, at the very least, they've had 50 uh, the state ballot access for the last three elections, more or less. Um, they won't get it this year, I don't think, because they're in an internal disarray, but they'll probably get 40 plus. Uh, it's just kind of hard to squander all of it immediately. Um, so how he is he going to get there? These polls, when you look at it, they're incredibly uh, jarring and interesting. They're the, the biggest poll numbers for third-party candidates since 1996, at least, and probably 1992 with Ross Perot. Um, so it suggests a really fertile territory. Uh, the next question then becomes how you know, how serious is it and and can you get there mechanically like Cornell West is in a bunch of these polls too and like Cornell West is not going to get on 50 ballots he's not going to get on 20 he stopped uh, going for the Green Party uh, nomination um, uh, about three or four weeks ago so he would have to do this all independently that's not really going to work because it's a slog of getting all Mm -hmm. kinds of signatures and such but it does speak to those poll numbers, even if it's not going to be translated into a reality like that. It absolutely speaks to how uh, just completely weary and um, and done with it the uh, voting public is. It's something like 70% of people don't want the race to be what it's going to be. Um, and that's just huge. We've talked about it before. Like a, a majority of Democrats pretty consistently have said, "I gosh, I really wish that Joe Biden wouldn't run. The, the guy who's in my party and is the president, I wish that he wouldn't run for president. Um, and because of Israel and because of a bunch of other incentives, people aren't all that focused on it. But that suggests a volatility. And there's going to be a lot of people here more interesting than Dean Phillips, 
um, who are going to look at this uh, more interesting than Shank <laughs> Ugar, whatever the hell his name is. Wow. <laughs> who is not, who is not, <laughs> not uh, who are going born American. So he's going to have a little bit of trouble running for president. Oh, he isn't? But he's doing it. Oh. Are his parents? Okay. If his parents are not, then that's kind of a... That's kind of an issue. Like you, John McCain wasn't born in America. You know, he's born in the Panama Canal and uh, Mitt Romney. I think. I presume his parents aren't if he wasn't. Yeah. Um, uh, but like his parents were American, and their his dad was uh, serving overseas. And I think Mitt Romney might have been born in Mexico or something. Or yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's not maybe. Uh, maybe or maybe not. Or maybe George Romney was, and that came up during the Trump talking about various things. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the our presidential election is potentially more volatile than it's given credit for currently that's what those polls say but to get there practically is a very different question and most people have no idea what they're talking about when they talk about it yeah um yeah i mean there's these debates coming up again there's one next week was oh, it next week what day is it republican debate mike pence dropped out i didn't out. even notice that's that <laughs> when did, did he drop, drop out, out? <laughs> Is that true? Is that true? I have no idea. Really? Two days ago. Like, it's it's wow. Yeah, yeah. No idea. He should have dropped out in Tel Aviv. <laughs> I would have known. It's not. <laughs> so only, I'm, that's a me. Who, I'm who saying got that's what the I'm all, all important uh, Mike yeah, Pence, he dropped uh, out. Uh, endorsement. I don't know if he affixed his mm. steely gaze onto somebody. <laughs> um, so it's the we'll least see. consequential but, thing uh, to happen yeah. all week. Uh, but like anywhere in the cosmos. <laughs> that's abs- that's no really one not, cares. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing no. consequential about that. Yeah, it'd be great if a few more of them. Trump. I, oh, that's right. I did know that because I remember that Trump <laughs> said like he should back me. But I thought that was maybe like an anticipation of him pulling out. It's like he. I love how Trump views politics. It's like mm-hmm. I have insulted yeah. this guy endlessly, and uh, you know, like he did that to Mark Meadows before Mark Meadows came and worked for him. Right. I mean, all these people who worked for him were yeah. insulted, and he's like, it's just part of the game. He doesn't believe about ninety percent of it. He's like, I think he's uh, should line up behind me. Who's gotten I mean, the worst? Uh, and by the still, time, the, like, kind of bent the knee at the appropriate time. Lindsey yeah. Graham got it pretty bad in the past too, and uh, he's in, he. I think he even like made intimations that Lindsey Graham was gay. Right? Oh, <laughs> I mean, if he didn't, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I'm just inventing that, but I'm ninety percent sure. No, he did. He did. Yeah, and Lindsey uh, Graham's been lined up behind him. I mean, think, think what he did to Mitt Romney. I'm uh, about ready to finish a, not a book review, but a little a piece that's based on McKay Cobbins' mm-hmm. new book called Romney: A Reckoning um, that came out. And Trump, you know, did exactly what you would think Trump would do uh, when that book came out. It's like. This boring loser. Yeah, like he hasn't <laughs> clearly hasn't read it or even seen it. No, right. like like, and he's like that book is terrible, boring, stupid. No, like like you know, accusing him of writing the book. So like Romney's book, you know, that he wrote is terrible. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing is great, but then he does the Trump thing, which is that it's also kind of funny, and then he reminds people of you know that loser. Um, he probably didn't mention in his book that he came to me begging me to be Secretary of State. Yeah. We all remember the famous photo. Of Mitt at dinner, looking like, eh. and uh, Trump. One at dinner, you mean? When he's like dinner. turning to his camera, yeah. 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 Um, which I found out through the book. That was the second dinner of oh, that process. There wasn't oh. just one dinner because Mitt like really thought he might yeah. be Secretary of State. But that's. But he says that uh, McKay says that that was actually true because I mean Trump says these things. He came to me and he begged me like a dog. Everything is always great, and they're usually fake. But that one was real. Well, not the the. 
it wasn't a begged me like a dog. It was like, you know, seriously pursuing, you know, the possibility of fulfilling. It's a, it's very hagiographic, this, this book. Yeah. I mean, it's Romney a reckoning. It's sort of like he is the stand in for someone who's, you know, come to realize perhaps his own role in, um, in leading to this world that we, this fallen world that we have now and why he chose at the end of his career to take a principled stand. Um, I found it really unconvincing and I, I dislike Mitt Romney more after having read it. Um, and the thing that Trump points out when he's exulting about this is that that is true. Romney, um, let's not forget, um, gave a, like a big speech in, I think it was March of 2020. So right before this great podcast began, debuted on April 1st of 2016. So I'm sorry, not enough 2020, yeah. but 2016. 2016 yeah. um, so um, it looked like Trump was definitely going to win, but it wasn't totally sure yet until the, I believe, Indiana primary in early May of that year. Um, Romney came out and gave a blistering speech of why, you know, Trump is unfit. He's horrible. Uh, everything about him is bad. What we need to do, everyone needs to drop out except for one person. He was like behind the scenes trying to negotiate between Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio so that they could like somehow join forces or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it's very stirring, like why no one should ever work for uh, Donald Trump. And he had also like uh, got into uh, Chris Christie's business because we forget it now. But Chris Christie was basically the first grown up ish politician to endorse Donald Trump and mm -hmm. to say that he was great. Sure. Um, yeah. After Trump had already. Uh, yeah. He, that he was the he was <laughs> smote him. And, yeah. and Romney's like, I can't believe that you did that. Friends so at that time, imagine like Trump and Christie. Like, Were they not? Who? Like it, it... I wouldn't say that. No, uh, I mean like Trump and Christie during the during. I, okay. I don't know. I, I, that's <clears throat> I mean, why I think I they were friends that. before and after but, like, after they, he dropped out. Yeah, during the they, campaign, were, nasty they were nasty to each other during the campaign. You know, plenty of that sort of thing that happens. But after he dropped out, I think he was defending him, and he would often but, like, allude to their long relationship and friendship. Yeah. Um, what Christie did is what everyone mm -hmm. eventually did. Paul Ryan, in his own way, did uh, almost everybody in the Freedom Caucus who didn't retire um, uh, or get bounced. They did it, too, uh, which is all of these things that you would say sometimes in public. Marco Rubio is part of this. Lindsey Graham, all these guys, they would say in public. Um, Cruz took him a really long time to build up the courage to say anything negative about Donald <laughs> Trump during that campaign. Um, they all bent and kissed the ring and talked about how great he was eventually almost all of them and the reason why romney is such a flawed character to be you know the the never trump or the trump smiter guy um is that yeah he went like eight nine months after saying this guy's untenable all good people of conscience should not work for him come on you're ruining the republican party <laughs> he went to dinner with him, and Trump knew what he was doing, which is and, like, and, and claimed later. I, I haven't read this book. But he claimed later he was just fucking. Yeah, and then he claimed on Truth Social, yeah. and that's totally believable. Oh and part God. of it, which is, which is kind of a baller move, it's a baller be move, yeah. and, and yeah. because he knew he would come. Yeah, and then like part of it was that there was all these negotiations over, um, like all these people who come to uh, uh, Romney after including Pence and saying like, look, if you just leave this dinner. And then go and have a quick press conference to talk about how awesome Donald Trump is. Job's yours. And Romney would say, I think Donald Trump is 
the voice of a new generation, like sort of gritted teeth, <laughs> the seventy-year-old generation. Um, and he would, he the didn't voice go of an old generation. He didn't go full, but the whole point was a humiliation exercise mm. by Donald Trump of Mitt Romney, and it worked because Romney was a vain motherfucker. He wanted to have the job, he wanted to have power, he wanted to be in the middle of all of this stuff, and almost every single person of political consequence at all uh, who has come at Trump at various times are also um, like hobbled by their own ambition, their own fallen nature, mm-hmm. their own bullshit. Uh, and it's sort of a bipartisan thing too. I mean, we've just seen it so much in so, um, you know, in, in such an obvious pathetic way amongst Republicans who lined up for a minute against Trump and the whole MAGA universe in 2016 and then spent the next number of years. I mean, the number of people that I know, just commentators that were on the anti-Trump train that were writing mm-hmm. in the National Review, never Trump issue. Go look at that issue, people. It's amazing. It's the number like of people. February-ish or January, February of 2016. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. Um, I would say at least, I would say around a third. It's, it's worth actually looking back yeah. at it. A third of the people who signed their names, I think there's 35 people mm. in sort of conservative universe who signed their name to like why, like, no, never fucking Trump yeah, I always, against Trump like, yeah. ended up being on the front lines of I'm going to attack for Trump. Yeah. I mean, I always remember that Art Laffer interview that I did. The one, the interview where I was the most hungover in the history of hangovers. And you can see it in the interview. I'm like slumped in the chair. My hair is all wild. And I'm like, so Art, you wrote that thing on a napkin? The curve? Uh, it was just like not good. But I gave him hell about that. And, and he was like, well, you know, because he was like, you know, him and all these all these guys were, were Larry Kudlow, et cetera. That, you know, free trade people, free market people that, you know, hopped on board. And not only that, it's not like I have to eat shit in the way that I have to pretend that he didn't say mean things about me. That's, well, you know, all's fair in love and war, politics thing. They had to change their views on the most fundamental issues of their entire lives, the ones they devoted everything to, like Larry Kudlow in particular, and then had to pretend that they were not free traders and that free trade and, you know, trade imbalances were the most important thing in the American economy. But, you know, anyway, that's the most important issue coming out of uh, Trump world is this one that you can see on my computer, Matt. This is Melania Trump is seen in public with husband. The first time. For the first time, time in seven months at Mar-a-Lago mm. Halloween party. And you know what she's dressed up as? A hot Eastern European. <laughs> that is what she went as. Bless her heart. We love you, Melania. We would never, ever say anything bad about you. Your husband, we don't have a lot of time for, but we have a lot of time for you. Um, if you had a if you had a choice between attending that party with Melania mm-hmm. um, or um, going to Heidi Klum's party, like, where would you go? Dude, I mean, that's not even yeah. an argument. Heidi yeah. Klum is happily married. <laughs> Melania, I got a chance. I think I got I a chance. Know. I I just don't think I would miss the opportunity to go to Heidi Klum's party dressed as Seal. Oh uh, like, yeah, would, would just have like scars on your face. <laughs> <laughs> be like, never, never gonna survive. <laughs> as you walk in, <laughs> baby. Yeah, that was a real career. Seal didn't really last long. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, in Trump universe. Um, what do we say? Do we say anything, I guess, at this point? About what? About what's going on in the Middle East. I think Camille is banged up, and rightly so, about mm-hmm. the IDF bombing um, a refugee. Yeah. 
area in Gaza, and I want to hear <laughs> Wait, about his why feelings. Is Camille, why is Camille banged up about this? Because I read the same text string that we all read between the three of us. <laughs> Wait, what did he say? <laughs> what did I say? Did say I don't something? know. He's just like, this. that looks fucked up, something like that. It is fucked up. I mean, oh, but not I mean, in the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 concerning, um, but I don't exactly know what happened at this date. I think initially, uh, un- unsurprisingly, the Palestinian government, uh, the claims that were made about the body count seemed to be pretty high um, and came pretty quickly. Uh, the numbers seemed to have trended downwards. Um, the, the thing I was commenting on wasn't so much the, the fact that this happened, but the nature of the attack. And if, if you don't know, there was a refugee um, camp that appeared to be targeted. Um, the Israeli um, military has said um, that they were targeting some underground complexes where uh, certain Hamas leaders were. Um, and as most of us know, and this is no secret, Hamas has, has owned up to this. There is a sophisticated um, underground tunnel system, miles and miles of it, in in, in um, Gaza, and they use this for moving around uh, peoples and materials for their uh, efforts for smuggling goods across the border, storing lots of goods um, that are not available to the people of Gaza. Yeah, goods yeah like and, hostages. And, well, also well, food, potentially. food and fuel and yeah. things that you, that you know the people of Gaza need and they mm-hmm. don't care at all yeah. about providing for them. And and obviously but. they they have decided um it seems perhaps at least according to the Israeli intelligence um and the military uh, with respect to this this strike um to perhaps have senior leadership housed or at least stationed for some period of time where in close proximity to at least if not directly underneath uh, yeah. what was a refugee camp and a bunker buster munition was used penetrated the ground and according to some of the reports i saw it seems likely penetrates the ground actually explodes underground and creates some seismic activity and as a result there may have been collapses of nearby buildings and it seems it was a pretty um horrific scene uh, and there's mm-hmm. been widespread condemnation um, of Israel from a number of places, certainly a, a much more restrained response from uh, Israeli allies who've said it is urgently important that they are defending, um, that they're taking steps to ensure that civilian casualties are limited. Um, and it does seem that the Israelis are, from a public relations standpoint, uh, from a diplomatic standpoint, very much on the defensive, pretty persistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and Netanyahu certainly um, has been. Uh, there was even a, a situation where he posted something um, over the weekend apologizing and then removed it and apologized um, for certain intelligence failures. Um, so there's, mm-hmm. I think the Israelis are obviously very reticent, um, very cognizant of the difficult situation that they find themselves in uh, because they are being heavily, heavily scrutinized um, for like, every step and misstep here. Uh, and they're they're trying very hard to prosecute this offensive um, and move to what I think has been described as the second stage of this conflict now, which appears to to also include um, the, this ground invasion that we're seeing. So the first stage was supposed to be airstrikes and limited ground incursions. The second stage is um, these deeper ground incursions and defeating what they've described as pockets of resistance. Mm-hmm. And then the third stage is the removal of Israeli responsibility for security to there would be some sort of new security regime um and i'm not sure that much has been detailed about this third stage yeah, that's that's it, a fourth that's i don't know what stage. that means yeah. exactly yeah. 
the um, Biden administration is busy um, uh, asking about stage four or five mm-hmm. now. I mean, for one, they're trying to, um, or at least they say that they're trying to um, keep Israel focused on limiting the number of uh, casualties of innocents, both in northern Gaza, where there where this uh, refugee settlement was. It's unclear whether it was a camp. It wasn't like tents. Um, uh, Jonathan Cornicus, who's uh, the IDF mm-hmm. spokesman, was very interesting to watch during this conflict and who Moynihan and I and, and the other people that we traveled with in Israel a year ago met. And he's very impressive uh, at what he does. I just saw him on CNN tonight talking about this. And he's like, you know, it was a refugee building. It's where people lived. It wasn't mm-hmm. not that's and And he also said that it is horrible when innocent people die in a war and express that. I find this the interesting disconnect um, in the way that people talk about this in the, in the never-ending uh, squabbles over this, which are understandable because it's life and death issues and, and people feel them very strongly. Um, there are accusations that uh, Israel and therefore sort of the U.S. backing Israel are just engaged in genocide and they don't give a shit um, mm-hmm. uh, about um, civilian casualties. Um, and then when you see um, Israelis uh, interviewed or when you see people who are pretty uh, strongly pro-Israel having latitude here and they're asked about it, um, that's not the vibe that they carry out. You can find, and there are, um, comments from people, uh, white papers or junior white papers that you can see in Haaretz and other places um, of people saying awful things on the Israeli side, for sure, saying like, you know, we have to just, you know, all rubble, no trouble, that kind of thing. People uh, openly contemplating, let's just like sort of resettle all of Gaza into Egypt and saying these awful things. You can find those things. They exist um, and uh, and not great, Bob, as they say, Um uh, at the same time, you, I, I think you don't see a lot of people going, yeah, we're going to genocide now and we're having fun. Um, uh, whereas on the other side of the debate, you don't see a lot of people. So like you see expressions of anguish about the thing that happened, which is that um, uh, innocence and, and kids. I mean, there was one report in CNN and it was Gaza source. So take it for all of that. But like 42 members of the family died. Um, like it's it's unconscionable just to wrap your minds around that in Gaza uh, as a result of Israeli bombardment. Um, that's that really freaking sucks. Uh, but it's worth pointing out that there is a, uh, a a sense of limiting principle, at least a little bit, or at least a, of a expression of conscience about that. And you don't necessarily see a similar expression of conscience when you see. I don't know, debates that you watched in comedy. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I thought you, I thought you were going to say tonight, from, from Hamas. <laughs> from the no, leadership no, of Hamas. I mean, well, no. well, from a Hamas supporter. We, yeah. we actually, uh, we presume that Hamas like, won't legitimately do that. a Hamas yeah. supporter, by the way. I'm not, I'm not being um, Talk flip or something. You know, that was, and, and I'm not giving anything away because it was live stream too. Um, like a lot of Hamas's atrocities. Yes. Um, our friend Eli Lake was debating Norman Finkelstein tonight Um and it was really eye-opening to see the lengths with which somebody will go to to justify. And I don't mean that. Like, it's like, well, they shouldn't have done none mm-hmm. of that. No, just the total, it's a concentration camp mm-hmm. and, you know, Nat Turner. And then, I mean, the thing to point out about Nat Turner, by the way, 
Oh, you have to finish the thought, though. Nat Turner, what now? Well, Finkelstein compares what happened to Nat Turner's rebellion, and there is a parallel in the sense that Nat Turner did say, we're going to kill all the white people we can get our hands on. Nat Nat Turner led a a slave rebellion in in the United States. A slave rebellion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping our our listeners would know that much, but we We can't can't be so sure. Uh, (laughs) Although most of our listeners are very smart. most yeah. of them are very smart, but a few dummies out there. <laughs> uh, he, the thing about that makes it kind of an appropriate comparison in some mm-hmm. ways, but not one that I would say, well, yeah, that was great, uh, is, you know, when Turner attacks his slave master and kills his slave master and uh, his wife, and I can't remember if there was somebody else, but left the house and then went back to kill the baby. And I believe they beheaded the baby, too. And there are 50, 60 people. But I think the most appropriate comparison is what happened in response to that is, is, you know, was not good for slaves in Virginia or in the region or anywhere. The response was was horrible. And uh, because there was no... There was no kind of idea behind that we're going to upend slavery forever or something or make any gains. I mean, the or, or immediate response was was a huge amount of death uh, in response to Nat Turner. So we have a, a similar thing there. But yeah, seeing Finkelstein, I, I mean, I can't even, I, it, it was, I wanted to jump in. I was sitting there as an observer and it was very hard to to observe without yelling at the top of my lungs and, you know, him just saying things that aren't true. Like, you know, Israel supplies the water to to um, the Palestinians in, in Gaza and they turned it off. It's like, you know, the Israelis supplied 10% of the water to Gaza. And there's a lot of issues there that the Gazans have, or the Hamas government has ignored in one of those being potable drinking water amongst many, many, many other things. But the thing that's kind of interesting is I think this is the first war in which everyone in the world seems to be invested um, which is the unique thing about Israel. The wars that happen, you know, 500,000 people have been killed in the Syrian civil war since it started. I think it's since 2014, I think that was the benchmark for, for the civil war because it started earlier than that. But 500,000 people, absolutely astonishing number of people. And that does not, you know, really get people's dander up so much. If it does, I mean, it's people crazy people saying the white helmets are a, a Israeli uh, spy operation or something that's all fake and there was no gas attack and things like that. You're seeing a lot of that stuff now too. But in this age, which is much, 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 much more um, social media oriented than anything was even two years ago, three years ago, the, the, I mean, the fact that Semaphore had this piece today about whose TikTok videos, the pro-Palestinians, the pro-Israelis, are performing best. And of course, the Palestinians were outperforming by an enormous margin. Thanks, China. I think that you're, Thank you, mm-hmm. China. And we know what side you're on. <laughs> Always the wrong one. But the thing that is uh, interesting is that you have people who are not, you know, steeped now in just the war theory. They're not looking at historical precedent. They're not saying what they're just seeing images and saying no. Previous wars didn't really work that way. I mean, you get the images, of course, but the bombardment every day is that if you if you open TikTok and the algorithm is pushing you towards this. You've been looking at, you know, the sort of Israel sucks stuff. You're getting a lot of images of bodies. And it's very difficult when you try to explain to people the laws of war and war crimes 
they just tend to think this stuff is like, look, a dead person is a dead person, and that's it. And we, according to the Gaza Ministry of Health, which is not a trustworthy um, uh, public health organ, they're not giving you the most accurate figures. I mean, look, by the way, this is true also when we were talking about Ukraine at the beginning and talking about mm-hmm. the scale of death in Ukraine. Every time we said that, we always put mm-hmm. a footnote that we don't know if these these numbers are real. And they seem to be have been greatly inflated. Uh, the number of Russians they were killing. Um, and then people complain, well, the, the, the Ukrainians aren't releasing numbers of the people that they've been killing. So, well, yes, it's because this is an information war. And Israel, I think at this point, is is losing the information war in a pretty um, spectacular way. I don't think there's much they can do about it. They do come out with videos that are made by the IDF, but they're made mm-hmm. by the IDF. And there's not a lot of stock people want to put into that stuff. And I completely understand that. You know, government organizations, you should, you know, look with an arched eyebrow, but listen to them because sometimes they're going to be accurate or tell you things that are that are interesting. But at this point, I just don't, I mean, I don't think there's much difference in the average person who are writing on posters of stolen children. I saw this today writing, you know, 5,000 killed in Gaza across the face of this person who's been kidnapped. Um, If that were true, one is a war crime and one isn't. And the kidnapped, that's the war crime, actually. That's against the laws of war. The laws of war, when it comes to civilians dying, essentially means you have to take all precaution to not harm civilians. Um, The Israelis appear to be doing that. Um, It is as... Take all precautions too strong, but like taking... Taking taking some precautions, precautions. making... Spending spending two weeks Mm -hmm. saying... You got to leave northern Gaza. You yeah. just really have to leave. Yeah, northern Gaza. and people say, "Well, there's nowhere is to go." A, is a precaution. Yes, it's one precaution. And people say, "Well, there's nowhere to go." Um, well, it's not entirely true, but it's not easy. And my sympathies are with those people that are living under bombardment because mm-hmm. we don't know if those people are, you know, supporters of this, you know, fascist terrorist organization. Certainly, just Namash's second cousin, who is like, of a, course, a, yeah, a three-week-old mm-hmm. baby. Of course, yeah. And those families and the rest of it, or, you know, those people like that, you know, and, and Justin's uh, families, uh, they are Christian Palestinians. They are not people who talk about being a shaheed, being a martyr. And if you listen to the people, like there was an interview that was done um, with a Hamas official with RT Arabic, which was pretty interesting. The guy pushed him and said, "Why don't you have? Why have you never built any bunkers, mm-hmm. any like any bomb shelters? Any bomb shelters? Yeah. You've built, you've and he's yeah. and like you have, you built all these tunnels, but no bomb shelters." And his response was, "Well, that's the mm-hmm. UN's responsibility." Yeah. Ours. After it after shows, saying, you know, we use these tunnels for operations. They are to protect us from aerial yes. bombardment. It is the responsibility mm-hmm. of the United Nations. Direct yep. the question to them to protect. To protect you know what you're going to see. Civilians. Here's a pre- <laughs> it's crazy. Here's a prediction of what you're going to to, to see. And I, let me see if the I think the Israelis have actually um, yeah they they did some video on this. But I think what you're going to see when a ground operation commences um, in full force, it has not done that yet. That you're going to see the Israelis trying to um, show people some truths. And one of those things is that they will be. I assume I have no information on this. But I assume they'll be showing people um, the tunnels beneath mm. Al Shifa Hospital, and I'll give you an example of what this is. You know, our, uh, Avi Isharov, the the journalist who wrote Fauda, and is a very impressive journalist. I met him in Israel in two thousand eight or something, 
incredible guy. Like he's he hates mm-hmm. Netanyahu. He's not like some uh, political guy. And he also has had an incredible success with, with Fauda. I just watched the first season. It was very good. He said that, and I haven't seen this yet. He said like in the third season of Fauda, we have uh, scenes in the Hamas tunnels under Al Shifa Hospital. It's in the show from like three, four years. He said he he said in this interview like every child in Gaza. And he's been to, he speaks Arabic perfectly. He's like, it's, he's a very impressive guy. He has very, very good sources in Hamas, Hezbollah, et cetera. He's been notorious for this. And he says, everyone knows this. Everyone knows this. But you see people on TikTok, you see people on the internet and saying, yeah, you can't trust that. That's, that's um, IDF propaganda. It's like, well, have you asked anyone else? Because there's also information about this out there. People saying this in Arabic, in places that, you you could trust. There's no no need for them to to be giving away these secrets that aren't really secrets. I mean, you don't think the Israelis know about this? Yeah, they blew up the communications devices and got through on October 7th. They were sleeping at the wheel, but that doesn't mean they don't have an enormous amount of intelligence about where things are. And that is what they're hitting. I You know, they know this every human who dies there. Let's be very cynical about this. And let's pretend they don't care. Let's pretend they don't care. I don't believe that, but let's pretend they don't care. They don't want that just for the purposes of they're losing this information war every time a a civilian population or a part of a civilian population is hit. But they also, um, uh, you know, made the proactive decision of we know that there are a lot of refugees in this place and we know or, you know, they say that they know that there are senior Hamas bad guys underneath Let's do it. They have to do it. I mean, they have to. Like, let's say that there are people there, and I don't know if this is true. I can't, you know, say that what they're saying is right at all. They could have made this up. Who knows? But when you do those roof knocks, when you do the leafleting, the flyers, when you tell people over communications um, to leave, right? That is a general comment. When you have somebody in a place when you know that they're there, you can't tell anyone. You can't say leave because. We're going to hit this now. Guess who else is going to leave? The person that you're trying to, to, to take out. Um, the command structure that you're trying to take out. They're trying to get as many people as possible in one strike. And that is just a fact of war. People die. The difference is, is that every single death is going to be amplified. And every one of the deaths is an absolute mm-hmm. tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that flippantly to cover my ass. I truly believe that. I can't. Wa- I find watching that stuff really difficult. Because I feel so terribly for all of those people that are in this situation that is of Hamas's making. And let me just say one final thing about this, because this has been really bothering me, is that the glorious operation uh, of the resistance on October 7th uh, is the reason this is happening. And if that had not happened, there'd been, quote unquote, relative peace for a couple of years, and the Israelis have admitted mm-hmm. that they were kind of snowed by that. They were kind of deceived by it. They believed it in ways that they shouldn't have believed it. And that stability in the sense that not a massive war, not Operation Cast Lead, not, you know, uh, the 2006 Lebanon war, nothing like that. You know, there's going to be things here and there. But that was the status quo. And had this not happened, that would have remained. All of those people would still be alive. This is not something that the Israelis, I, from many conversations with people that, that know about this stuff or are involved in this stuff, they don't relish this. They don't want this. This is, 
you know, their sons and daughters are going to die too. And when this fighting happens to destroy those tunnels and to destroy Hamas, the number of Israeli casualties is going to be high too. And no one is going to really feel bad Mm -hmm. for them, despite the fact that this is a response, right? And a lot of these people, you have the special forces, things like that are different. This is a country with conscription. So they don't, a lot of people that don't have a choice that are going and, you know, obviously the really trained ones are going to go in first, but this is a, 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 a conscripted army. And, like, do you feel bad for them that they have to be, be involved? I mean, there's been reservists that have mm-hmm. been killed on the northern border. And, they're, and there is fighting now on it's the ground like, in the north as well. And they've <laughs> in, encountered pockets of resistance. They, they have gone. There's been, I mean, remember that in 2000, the Israelis pulled out of Lebanon because they had a... Uh, army there and the buffer, which was called the South Lebanon Army, which was made up not of Israelis. I mean, mostly anti-Hezbollah Lebanese and, you know, uh, Christian phalangists. And that was obviously Sabra and Chetila. All that stuff happened. and It was very, very bad. And they pulled out in 2000. And there used to be that kind of like that was to establish a security belt sort of thing after the the initial invasion, um, which was in the it was 82, I think, in the early 80s which was the fact that, you know, there were Palestinian PLO operatives running operations out of Lebanon, attacking Israel all the time. And they said, we're going to do something about this. And there's no good options ever for the Israelis. There is just not a single one. And if you if you don't, if like there was a, a quote today, I don't know if anyone saw this video, but it was from a Hamas official, a pretty senior guy, who said that this is going to happen, there's going to be an... Um, October 7th. October 7th Over again and, and again and again. And he said this, um, this is the quote, to a Lebanese um, outlet where he said, Israel is a country that has no place on our land. We must remove that country. We must teach Israel a lesson and we will do this, uh, this is October 7th, again and again. The Al-Aqsa flood is just the first time. There will be a second, a third, a fourth because we have the determination to fight. And to them, they say to die, too. And, and he says, we're going to you know, retake this um, territory. And the, the, interview, the interviewer says, uh, Gaza. And he said, no, the entire land of Israel. We're, we're, this mm-hmm. is the, you know, and when he I was promises, talking to people- Promises these tax again and again and again and again. Yes. And when the I was talking The first one will be the second and a third second. and a fourth. And, mm. and it, it, we, it, will we have to pay a, pay a price? Yes. Mm-hmm. And we are ready to pay it. We are called a nation of martyrs mm-hmm. and we are proud to sacrifice martyrs. And those are the shahids. Talk about conscription. That, I mean, he's, he's, they, he's a nation of martyrs. He is, yes. he is saying every civilian killed is mm-hmm. a martyr. And in fact, that, that is how Hamas formally describes yeah. these people when they die. Yeah. It's funny in the Norman part, uh, not part, the Norman, Norman Finkelstein, this Eli and the Dream, Eli mentioned. Um, that a clip from from uh, a guy saying, get on the roof of this house. This is in a previous conflict. Get on the roof of this house um, because you're going to be the human shields because Norman Finkelstein said there's no such thing as human shields. And so he says, well, no, they were going to about to kill all these. They're about to take out a house. And so these people went up. That's not human shields. And the funny thing about this is what is he missing about this? Let's pretend that is even true. It's not true. I mean, there's obviously... Mm-hmm. They're hitting this target for a reason. Um, what is true about that? They know that Israelis don't want to kill lots of innocents. So the very the very idea of that is taking advantage of the fact that the Israelis don't want to make 
shaheeds and martyrs of all of these people and don't want to kill, you know, 50 innocents. We're blocking this this target from you bombing it because we know you're not going to bomb it because we're here. That if if you had 50 Jews on the top of a building and Hamas saw that and they had a pinpoint, they would salvate and say, do it, do it now. Let's we got 50 Yahud up there. We're going to kill. And that asymmetry is baked into everyone's calculations mm-hmm. in a way that is just to me, interesting slash bizarre. Like it's just sort of, we, it's understandable that Hamas is going to send rockets every day into Israel with a hope that, um, that it's going to mm-hmm. uh, kill people. Yeah. Um, the goal uh, is over, overwhelm their defenses and eventually start killing civilians. And maybe some of the, like the Houthis in Yemen will send some rockets. We've declared war on Israel, which is declared war and maybe Hezbollah in Lebanon sending rockets. Maybe we'll get some other ones from Syria over here in that direction too. And like that as a baseline is like, okay, yeah, that that's, you know, that's what we expect. And we also expect, although I think people expect this less now and they're right to, um, that there will be that reticence on the Israeli side. And certainly the U.S. government, we know this, has been trying to jawbone Israel to have more reticence um, uh, on their side to do things that kill civilians, which doesn't mean that civilians are not going to get killed. There is going to be an absolutely disproportionate body count. This was going to be true every second since October 7th. And if you don't think so or somehow if you hadn't wrapped your brain around that you hadn't thought about it like there's just no way think of whatever country that you're from when you're listening to this we have predominantly uh americans listening to this but we have people from basically every country in the world um doesn't matter where you're from imagine that your country um in estonia in the u.s in mexico whatever um has someone comes across and does 1,000 Manson murders mm. to people who were just not doing anything uh, that day. Um, and what do you think the response is going to be from your government? There's going to be more than 1,000 deaths on the other side. There yes. is no way that there's not going to be, uh, especially if the other side is a place where the people who perpetrated that run the fucking government. Yeah. It's not about retribution at that point, although that retribution is baked into the passion of the response for sure. But it is whoever did this, we have to make sure they don't govern that place anymore. That is so intolerable. And the act of that, especially to the extent to which that group still governs that place, there's going to be deaths involved. And this is not a justification for those deaths or for any individual act within that. It's just fucking reality. Um, I wish that it wasn't. I, war really fucking sucks. It's it's terrible, and that's why Hamas shouldn't have started one. Mm-hmm. Because the, they're and, not yeah. in any fucking position to finish it except by fucking dying. The, the, you know, this kind of moral matching, in a way, that one death here and one death there is essentially the same thing. Rolling a grenade into a child's room and blowing the child into a thousand pieces. Um, the, we know stuff like this happens. There's video of it. Um, that is the same, of course, 
to somebody who, you know, a Hamas headquarters, which is, of course, put in places, they don't put them far away. They put them in places where the Israelis are going to get a lot of international shit for bombing it and, and you know, killing people that are alongside of it. A stone falls off on that building and collapses on a child's head and kills a child. I mean, absolutely horrible stuff like this happens all the time. And we see it. And then, but this kind of moral matching, that it's all essentially the same. Mm-hmm. This is Ezra Klein in his podcast. He said, but if you take something like the 8,000 number as right, this is what the Gaza Health Ministry has said, 8,000 people. Uh, well, the one way the horror of October 7th was driven home one way its scale was driven home to Americans was to put it in terms of 9-11s. Adjusting for population, Joe Biden said, was like 15 9-11s. If you take that same math, then Gaza's experience so far is around 400 9-11s. What does that do to a population? That's not the same thing. The people of 9-11 were going about their day in their offices. You know, the... the, the li- Fitzgerald. The, like the little Eichmanns of Kenneth Fitzgerald to quote the execrable Ward Churchill, who has been thankfully confined to the dustbin of academic history. And the same thing is true of these people in the kibbutzim, the old people, the kids are playing and their rooms are invaded and they're slaughtered en masse. And if you listen to the the, the IDF, uh, Shin Bet actually has, has released some of the, the interrogations of some of the surviving Hamas terrorists. And they say, you know, we're trying to kill people as as many people as we can. That's what we were told to do, and that's what we were there to do. And some of them seem, actually, in a second, kind of pained by this. They seem to be, like, you know, overwhelmed by it in a a way. Mm -hmm. Not many, but you see, like, a Mm -hmm. weird... Mm -hmm. You see that they're kind of processing this as they're talking. Um, That's what they were there to do, and that's what they did. To make no moral distinction between that and the response from Israel to destroy the infrastructure of the group that created the biggest pogrom since 1945, and to say, well, that's their 9-11, mm-hmm. I think is, is, is morally very weak. It's idiotic. It's idiotic. Really idiotic. And the, this, you should know better. The Mediaite was the thing that did this, and, and this is the headline. 400 9-11s, Ezra Klein, Klein, Klein <laughs> sorry, Ezra Klein puts reported Palestinian death toll in shocking terms. I mean, it's shockingly silly in the sense that, you know, what happened in Auschwitz was effectively the same of what happened, you know, in a bombing raid in Berlin, right? It's the same thing. Same number of people who died in Auschwitz that day probably died that day in Berlin in a bombing raid. What is the difference? We have really lost, you know, any sense of proportion and the fact that I, don't, I do not believe, and I think there's an enormous amount of evidence to suggest this, that the Israeli Air Force is not gleefully targeting Civilians, if you say all the time that this is one of the most, you know, compact populations on earth, it's all, and there's some dispute about this, and you're operating amongst them, and you don't provide security mm-hmm. for them. Re- refuse, oh, refuse just, to provide I, security for you, them. You actively, you actively debate somebody a few days ago who says, why have you not built bomb shelters? Not mm-hmm. our fucking responsibility. You just launched an invasion to kill innocent people and to take hostages, not prisoners of war, hostages. And then you say, well, you know, I mean, what are we going to do? You created the situation. Well, no, the situation was created a long time ago because of uh, uh, settler colonialism, et cetera. This is a thing that goes back and forth, that there's no purpose because every 
action, a reaction. Where does that begin? You want to go back to 1948? Do you want to go back to 1936, the Arab uprising? Do you want to go back to pogroms in 1928? Do you want to go back to how Jews were treated uh, b- well before there was a state of Israel, be- you know, even before there was a Palestinian mandate when the British took over after the Ottoman Empire, that you can go back for years and say, we're angry about this. Everybody's angry about something. But there's a point at which somebody has to say, stop this. And we need to that's not at the point that mm-hmm. Hamas is at. They're at the mm-hmm. opposite point, which is to provoke conflict forever, to see the destruction of Israel. And I think in this case, because we asked people when this first started, why do you do this when you're not going to hold new territory and you're just going to take hostages for what reason? I mean, I, they know the response. They're not stupid. They know exactly what's going to happen. They invite that to happen and they want to provoke a regional war like 1948, when five Arab armies invaded the newly formed state of Israel. They want the Houthis who declared war. They want, you know, tribes in Iraq who are fighting with, you know, missiles and stuff that is supplied to them by the Iranians. They want the Iranians. They want Hezbollah. They want all of this to happen. And that is the purpose of of this kind of stuff. And it's just pretty straightforward. And everybody seems to be very lazily falling for it because I am just, you know, I'm really surprised the, how quickly the protest of Israel happened, the cause of genocide before anything happened. Days, one day, two days after the pogrom, after that massacre, that they must have really overjoyed them. They must have been like, the, the world is coming out. Millions are coming out all across the world. For us, this mm-hmm. is a perfect operation. They don't give a fuck about their civilians. They never have. Yeah. If they had, they would invest a lot of money into protecting, feeding, clothing, you know, potable drinking water for those civilians, and they've done no such thing. The thing I've I've found most most shocking in observing all of this is how many people seem more outraged by every action taken by the Israelis than they are about the fact that you know murderous vandals are essentially holding an entire population hostage. Mm-hmm. Like shoving them in front of the line of fire and daring their adversaries to come after them. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is, it's just the, the, the situation for the Israelis is, is complicated and difficult and challenging. Mistakes will be made. There will un, undoubtedly be things that can be vehemently criticized. Um, but there is simply no justification for for the actions being taken by Hamas and its leadership. Like They're broke they out are, of prison, Camille. They are inherently bad actors. Um, and it, it, in as much as I am interested in an immediate ceasefire and peace, there, there just, just is not any willingness on their part to, to do this. Um, that said, I am, I am curious to get your reactions to something. And we haven't talked about this before, uh, and I don't know that you guys heard it, but, but Brian Mast is making some headlines now because of some comments he said a little earlier this afternoon. Did you guys hear what he said? No. Who is Brian I, Mast? He's the one who dressed in a, in a, in a um, yeah, Florida IDF repre- uniform. congressional representative. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm just going to play this quickly. Yeah, Please tell me he your... was an IDF person. Not just... I don't think he was actually. Just no, it was, was in response to Rashida he... Tlaib's uh, flag that he had to wear an IDF. Oh dear God! Why don't you just put up an Israeli flag? Yeah, here we go. Reason to not have them, and you know, I think when we look at this as a whole, I would encourage the other side to not so lightly throw around the idea of innocent Palestinian civilians, as is frequently said. 
Uh, I don't think we would so lightly throw around the term innocent Nazi civilians during World War II. Oh, no. We're going to speak later about a bill related to Palestinian education and the fact that in their schools, schools run by the Palestinian Authority, not Hamas, not Palestinian Islamic Jihad, not Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, not Lion's Den, not any of the other groups run by the Palestinian Authority, the anti-Semitic teachings that they put within their own schools, right? The list goes on and on of the examples we could give of what somebody might just call a rank-and-file Gazan or a rank-and-file person in the West Bank or just a Palestinian that maybe they don't say falls under that name of Hamas or, or, or Palestinian Islamic Jihad, but by any classical definition would absolutely be considered a terrorist, somebody that in the last couple of weeks had been conducting kidnappings, murders, br- brutality that is nearly unspeakable. So again, uh, as, as we look at this and what kind of exemptions should and should not exist, I would ask that it be looked at through that lens that, uh, you know, there's, there's not this far stretch to say there are very few innocent, Palestinian civilians. I haven't seen the videos of the innocent Palestinian civilians that were out there trying to protect the Israelis. Now, I I let it play quite a bit beyond the 20 seconds that is currently floating around Twitter uh, of the most incendiary bit of that. Um, But I didn't hear a lot that is particularly redeeming there. No. And if you I know me, so, no. my, my proclivity is to, <laughs> yeah. to try and be gracious and generous to people. And, and perhaps he's he's trying to make uh, a more nuanced point there. He's, he's failing at it pretty miserably. Um, but, I mean, there is, there is an escalation in the rhetoric on, yeah. on many, many sides um, and from numerous camps. Um, and... A lot of the escalation is predictable and understandable in certain ways, but in general, um, it's probably not all to the good. No. Um, and that's not that's not a, a great sentiment to hear um, expressed in Congress. And again, perhaps there is some redeeming aspect of what he said that that we, we it doesn't need appear. to give some, it doesn't appear give some there, there is. hearing no. to, but I don't know. No, that's ludic- that. that's ludicrous and offensive in almost every way, and particularly when you're you know you say there's no innocent uh, civilians. We wouldn't say innocent Nazi civilians. Yes, you would. Of course, you would. We should. Yeah. We 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 always did, and we always did that about Dresden was a big debate. The firebombing of mm-hmm. Hamburg in 1943 was a big debate. Uh, there is a movie that I recommended um, to people. It was one of the most amazing films that I've seen in the past couple of years, a Ukrainian filmmaker called uh, The Destruction. I can't remember. I'll find the put a link in the description. But it's made in, up entirely of footage, no voiceover, of the bombing raids. I believe it actually is on Hamburg. It is an astonishing thing to watch. And there are innocent people there. There are innocent, keep in mind that that one election in Gaza in 2006, and then Hamas kind of takes over all the instruments of power and kicks Fatah out. That was the coup after they won, um, was a 42, 40, it was a plurality. It wasn't a majority of people that supported Hamas. Hamas's support, I think, is probably greater right now in the West Bank because Fatah and the Palestinian Authority are just corrupt crooks and always have been and don't do very much for their their citizens either. I think that's also the case that Hamas is probably not terribly popular 
the day on October 6th. Um, I don't know now. It's very hard to tell. But if somebody like him has a read on on this, um, it's it's news to me that everybody's cheering and celebrating. I don't know. I mean, that might be the case. And you still want to not bomb people with incredibly bad ideas. You want to bomb people that have guns in their hands and bombs at their disposal. I think that's fairly obvious. I, I have said a number of times that I don't believe this incessant data point that half of uh, this, the actuarial table doesn't make a ton of sense to me that half of the uh, population of Gaza is under 18. Um, if that were true, let's pretend that that is true. Half of the population of Gaza is under 18. There's no, there's no innocent civilians in Gaza. The people who are under 18, the people who have been, as he said, and he's correct to say, force-fed mm-hmm. anti-Semitic propaganda mm-hmm. since they're, uh, I mean... Yeah, that the person point, is by definition a victim. They're a victim. By definition. Yeah, they're a victim. And, uh, and, and you know what? You have to decide... At 18, those victims become perpetrators. And, you know, a lot of these guys that are coming in over, the, they're 20, 21 years old, and they have to be destroyed, and they have to be killed, and they have to be extirpated, and you have to do everything you can to make sure that they never breathe another day, because it's too fucking late. But if there comes a point of, and this will not work, I don't think, in the Palestinian territories, but if there comes a point at which there was a situation like 1945, it was incumbent upon the Allies to commence a quote-unquote denazification program, which, by the way, um, tr- tr- tries to recreate that in Iraq with the debathification program, which is a complete fucking disaster. But that is, the idea there was that there are people that have been alive and only gotten Nazi propaganda, and we have to sort of rewire their brains. Not We have to kill them. They're not innocent because they believe this stuff. It's just, I don't know how people think this kind of nonsense. I am as angry as he is. It's a way of softening the ground, uh, honestly. And he's making some points there about the horrible way that people are educated mm-hmm. and propagandized yeah. mm-hmm. and stuff. That they're useful points. And, um, you know, he was quoting names of groups uh, and probably pronouncing them correctly. Unlike With the exception of Al Aqsa Martyr Brigade. He didn't pronounce Al Aqsa Martyr Brigade. Martyrs yeah, Brigade, you know, four out of five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But in the uh, current climate, what he's doing, let's be honest about what he's doing, which is like trying to dull the outrage mm-hmm. of kids getting blown up in Gaza. Yeah, and we shouldn't dull nope. the outrage about that. It's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. It actually should sharpen our outrage at Hamas. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're the killers of Palestinians. They're the ones that are responsible for this. I hold them entirely responsible for Deliberate this. Deliberate knowing provocation on their part. This is, just, they know what they're yeah. doing. They don't, they've seen this a million times. They talk about, you know, we're in this concentration camp. You know, the concentration camp that has, I don't remember Auschwitz having like Chinese restaurants and like malls and things like that. Is it the best situation? No. Enough firepower to send rockets. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if the people of fucking Auschwitz had rockets and also had had an opening. Tarantino movie. (laughs) Had an opening to a sympathetic country. Like there was one supposedly sympathetic country. There was one gate at Auschwitz in which you could get to like the Jewish section of Poland or something, which of course never <laughs> didn't exist at this point. But that like, I'm sorry, that's not a, what a concentration camp is. But using this incendiary language, I mean, it is insane that you get that from elected officials. But when I was, I went to the, the um, protest, Palestinian protest on, uh, on uh, Saturday mm. in, in Brooklyn. And I walked through the whole thing. I talked to people. Um, it was 
uh, astonishing in some of the things that I heard from people. Um, most people didn't want to talk to me. Um, they were handing out COVID masks, by the way. I was like, fucking these people like think COVID's still going on. We're outside. It's like, oh, no, they don't want to be identified mm-hmm. because of the, the stuff with the posters mm-hmm. and everything. So this is over by the Brooklyn Museum crowd. We started the Brooklyn yeah. Museum, went down to the Brooklyn Bridge. Do you know the name of that protest was? Yeah, it was the Flood. Flood Brooklyn. Jesus. Flood Brooklyn. Al-Aqsa Flood was the name of the operation on October 7th. Wow. This is sickening, and this is sickening. Mm. And the fact that people were either not aware of that or didn't care is insane to me. Tearing down posters, insane to me. But going to a, a protest that the organizers named after the operation that killed 1,400 civilians is fucking beyond my comprehension. Did you get more anti-Semitism thrown at you at Flood Brooklyn or at the uh, MAGA rally? (laughs) (laughs) I I would say this. There is a MAGA element to it in the sense that there is like, nobody trusts the media. They're like, they're lying to us all the time. You can see a lot of similar mm-hmm. things in protests. They're oh, without a doubt. Yeah, the conspiratorial there mindset were a, is, uh, is universal it, these days, it seems. Yes, and that's the protesters' mindset. I mean, people that told me like, oh, what happened on October 7th is, cannot be real because the Israelis you know, know everything that's you, going you on. You got so that. Obviously, this isn't... Yep, 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 yep. From a totally sensible person, too, who otherwise was making sensible mm-hmm. points. I mean, stuff I disagreed with, but not something that was out of the bounds of respectability. It was sort of a sensible kind of conversation. But he started with the, I didn't believe that, you know, or the old Jewish radical couple who had said, identified themselves as Jewish, um, who said they can't condemn what happened on the 7th, or the person that, another old radical, the old radicals will talk to you because I don't give a fuck, they're at a die anyway and they're like you know 70 year old crusty idiots who were like oh it's totally justified you know stuff like that is is shocking but it was called flood brooklyn and i just that little thing that wasn't pointed out by any news broadcast nothing nothing that's an important point that that's you know the the use of the word martyr is always a tell too when they talk about our martyrs that's that's not something that you you want to like just say, oh, this guy's probably going to be pretty chill about all these issues. I mean, the martyrs are, as far as I can tell, and I don't pay a lot of attention to it, and not an expert, uh, would be someone who was living in Judea and Samara, the West Bank, um, who is Palestinian, and who got bum-rushed by a settler or a cop for, Which doing, happens. Yeah. for doing nothing at all. Yes. Um, there's been a lot of reports about that uh, recently, and you know, either like pushed off of their property or aggressed or, uh, God forbid, uh, violenced. Um, that is a martyr. That is yeah. someone who's going about their business and doing stuff. Someone who's in a paraglider to come and slit the throat of uh, as many or just shoot uh, with a, a high-powered uh, rifle to shoot as many ravers. Yeah. I saw this fucking thing from, uh, from, from London. Ravers... For Palestine, a new group that just like came out like post October seventh, ravers for Palestine. I mean, yeah, yeah, dude. You know what happened at a yeah. rave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a rave. There's like, it's the most consequential murderous music happening in the history of mankind, as far as we know. Yeah, Bataclan is probably pretty close. I no, mean, just in no, that in that two hundred and sixty two hundred Bataclan. Bataclan was not 260. Oh, it wasn't that many? No, it wasn't that many. I don't think. 
I mean, it was just horrendous. I mean, I just, I, I, I just imagined it. I mean, it's a full concert full of people. What yeah. a fucking weird thing. But yeah, yeah, this that that notion of martyrs. Um, there are martyrs in this world. There are martyrs every day. I presume um, in. Gaza in the West Bank and but it's also people using that as it's a it's a religious concept though it's a religious concept and they're using it to describe the people who perpetrated mm -hmm. fucking widespread organized Manson murders on October seventh yeah that is fucked up this is gaslighting on a on a scale that I haven't seen like political gaslighting and we've seen a lot of craziness over the last couple of years we've seen a lot of craziness this is extraordinary like my jaw is perpetually on the floor these days me too. I cannot believe the shit that people say about this and the lengths that people go to. So I said to a friend of mine, the person I've talked about, academic, I've probably talked about more than anyone on this podcast, not in any specific way, just telling people to read his books, um, who was a UMass professor and a Hungarian emigre who escaped in 56, a guy named Paul Hollander, who wrote a book called Political Pilgrims, which I think is like the kind of urtext of this and it's about people trying to, Western leftists trying to find the perfect society in moving mm. from China, Soviet Union to China to, to it's not, and no surprise by the way, Cuba, Norm, yeah, Cuba is the other one, <laughs> that Norman Finkelstein was a Maoist in his, in his 20s. Um, that's not a surprise at all. And his parents, as he calls them, they were Stalinists. But that's, that's some, that, you see the mind of somebody who grows up in that environment debating, quote unquote, debating tonight. Um, but yeah, it was it was um, you know surprising that people did that then, and now you have people that prior to this go back to it and say, well, you know that was before they really knew it was happening in the Soviet Union, and it wasn't, of course. No, I mean the show trials were 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 the late thirties, the purges, the Holodomor and and Ukraine was the early thirties. There's a lot of stuff, the, the hangings, the shootings during the Russian Civil War and during the original. You get a pass, maybe maximally to the fifties, but really don't. No, no, like, I don't. I don't like, think you get. A pass I don't. I don't give yeah. anyone a pass. Yeah, for me, it's the thirties, late thirties. Yeah, I you mean, for me, I would to. say nineteen seventeen. It was pretty obvious that shit was going really <laughs> bad. It was like there's no no way you can you can do it after that. But you know, when when I've seen that stuff in the past, it was always some weird moment in history that I was thinking about and saying, how did this happen? And now I'm seeing it again. This is the version of this that you're seeing now when you realize that access to information is not the thing. It's mm -hmm. not what it does. It's not mm -hmm. what matters. These people have access to videos of people being yeah. slaughtered. Um, and I have heard from somebody who saw some of this stuff that was not available to um, the public uh, one that is a scene that I couldn't even describe in this podcast because it would make me hurl even thinking about it. It was so disgusting. And so All hard. that is available to us. You know that uh, if we want to see it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. It's yeah, in yeah. this town. Yep, yep. Uh, and I don't. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't want to see it. I've seen enough. I, I mean, it's not. If I hadn't seen anything, I would say, yeah, let's 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 look at this to know what we're dealing with. I think it's as important. But um, I've seen a lot at this point. And the stuff that I've not seen that the Israeli government has not released um, has just shown to journalists is um, so from the description of somebody that saw it. And we should we should have Graham Wood on who who was in that in that screening in um, in screening is not the word that I should use. It just makes it sound so it's kind of trite. But he he was there and he saw that stuff. So we should have Graham on to talk about. It. And he said like like I think a number of people 
journalists said that they would never be the same again after seeing what they saw. I think uh, our travel mate John Levine was was one of the people who saw it too. Oh, he was in Israel. Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, it was. It was. He. he our he got friend. It, yeah. They did a screening in New York. Okay, so he saw it here too. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's also freaking frustrating. I I am curious, and I I mean, I wonder about the appropriate time to have the extended conversation. And I mean, it's our podcast. I feel like we kind of do what we want. Um, But the... (laughs) I'm I'm hearing your French. No, I mean, whatever. (laughs) But but there are, I think, serious questions about um, like Israeli policy, uh, the, the current strategy that's being implemented, the untenable situation that the political leadership of the country finds themselves in at the moment, not only mm-hmm. because of the you know diplomatic dynamics, but because of the domestic situation. I mean, Netanyahu does not, was not in a great position before the conflict started. Um, I don't know, you know, that his position has actually been strengthened now. It seems to me that he's, he's, he's oh, very no, no, no. much it's, on it's, the defensive he's, he's, constantly, he's perpetually. Um, so it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a very difficult situation, but even for me, with given my own, you know, curious politics and particular predilections, I I look at the policy decisions made in Israel. I look at the the relationship with respect to even the way that we talk about the the region, Muslim countries, um, the the kind of mm-hmm. re, the role of ethnicity um, in Israel with respect to the way that the government is constituted and and particular legal choices that have been made in recent years. Um, some of that stuff like gives me pause and there, I would say it's more religion. Yeah. yeah religion. Which also sure. should give you pause. I yeah. think that I understand. Yeah. I understand in, that. In either, yeah. in either case, I, yeah. it gives me pause and there are things that under other circumstances, I'd probably be more energized to talk about and to even criticize specifically, mm. but under the current circumstance, um, it seems like those kinds of considerations do, in fact, take a backseat to the more urgent, <laughs> um, extreme, um, mm-hmm. exigent things that are taking place here. And quite frankly, I mean, the deteriorating security situation in the rest of the region is pretty dramatic as well. And from a U.S. national security mm-hmm. standpoint, I mean, the situation in Ukraine is still uh, a going concern and things aren't necessarily so Mm -hmm. rosy there. Um, And there are substantial problems in Asia as well. And you've got uh, China who's dealing with an economy that is increasingly in not so great shape, which might have some implications for Mm -hmm. the United States, but could very well be the sort of thing that might induce the leadership of the CCP to behave in a more reckless way, to be a bit more than just bellicose, but to do things that we've had to be somewhat concerned about for a very long time with respect to Taiwan and not just Taiwan, but Japan as well. Um, so there's so many mm-hmm. things to be concerned about um, and to be paying close attention to let's these not, days. Let's not worry about the China-Japan war. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's it, like China, the, the thing to worry about with China yeah. is Taiwan. Um, that's I'm it. just saying that's the, the, the tensions right? there like, are not inconsequential either. A lot of the other stuff either, is, I mean, there there have been some close correct. calls. There there are territory concerns, but even more than that, like military planes that are some being Philippines harassed by, by Chinese fighters. Some boats. Know. Yes, I get it. It just it, 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 coming it coming within takes, a, like it only 10 takes feet so of, yeah. much 
for this to become uh, an even more disconcerting and distressing like geopolitical situation it's the it's the middle east everything else like russia ukraine which is a, a consequential thing that i really care about the the outcome of and mm-hmm. so so does many other people who are not named me um and it's really important it's not really going to spin out many other places it could and will probably in some ways spin out to moldova mm-hmm. and not a lot of people really give a shit about moldova i do but i'm weird um but like it's not it's not going to like it's more of a about the principle both of containment of russia <coughs> yeah. as a, a power and about the principle of sovereignty which has taken an absolute fucking battering ram over the last 30 years um and you know estonia is not going to get overrun um anytime soon what the the threat right now is in the middle east is this going to turn into a broad regional war it's very possible for it to that is the greatest single risk right now geopolitically um as we speak and there's a reason why people got the heebies about it um there's a reason why fucking uh erdogan in turkey is instead of having his 100 anniversary uh, celebrations of Ataturk, which should just oh, he hates yeah. genuflecting <laughs> in a certain direction, but he hates him because Ataturk, his whole point was like Ataturk. Yeah. Uh, he was to get rid of the. He was a secularist. Yeah. He was a secularist. Yeah. He was like the Ottoman Empire fucked up by being a big religious empire. We're going to stop it and be professional, like uh, you know, residents of the 20th century. And so Erdogan is the opposite of Ataturk, but you can't. You still have to sort of genuflect the cult of Ataturk, at least enough. It's just a very complicated relationship with his character. And so he squared the circle by having a huge pro-Palestinian rally over the weekend, Mm. uh, at which he said there will be two flags, the Turkish flag and the Palestinian flag. Um, The West is primarily responsible for what happened on Mm -hmm. October 7th. Um, uh, There is one terrorist here. It is Israel. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, and like they sent their entire Navy fleet to the extent that exists, fucking NATO partner, um, screwing around in various gulfs and places to like uh, project power. Um, there's a lot of potential mm-hmm. bad outcomes for the nervous Nellies about this spinning out, and it could still happen. Um, it is by far, it's not even close, I don't think, uh, by far like the geopolitical instability machine. Um, that said, uh, I think that one of the margin calls of the moment of October 7th was to point out that the previous regime in which a ceasefire held, there was a ceasefire on October 6th between Gaza and Israel. Um, people seem to have forgotten that for the most part. Um, uh, that wasn't stable. Like a lot of things that are basically uh, wrong or like like uh, unresolved conflicts or in many cases authoritarian um, not necessarily in this one, but in some respects, this one, um, things that look stable are not. And so the replacement for what is stable um, is uh, going to be awful and bloody on, in some respects, in many respects right now. And we're living through it and it's gut-wrenching. I hope without having any reason to hope um, that like there have been um, responses to the Yom Kippur War in 1973, it created new conditions. Like, it created new instabilities that then created new opportunities for peace. 
I don't see it. I don't ask me for a fucking roadmap no. for it um, right now. And that's not what the conversation is going to be about. But the thing that was existing before was not stable. Um, uh, and it wasn't particularly peaceful. It's going to be less peaceful in the interim. But uh, I, hopefully the thing that resolves after it has a possibility of being more both stable but peaceful and just. I mean, this is the thing that is frustrating to watch the Instagram war, the Instagram propaganda war. And people that I know, and I've seen people that I once had some measure of respect for do things, say things that are so untethered from reality and don't have any answers to the obvious follow-up questions. And the follow-up questions typically are things like, you know, what is a, a peace plan when you have no negotiating partner? And after the second intifada, you have... I mean, also, by the way, people... Chanting about intifadas is, to me, the absolutely insane to watch. Just bone chilling. Bone chilling. Intifada in New York. That's what we want. Yeah, in you know nope. the worldwide intifada. Mm-hmm. It's like, d- do you remember the second intifada? You want that on a global scale? Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, Jesus Christ, do these people have any idea what they're talking about? But when you don't have, I mean, after the second intifada, and after sort of you know Ehud Barak's ideas for peace, you know, just collapsed. And Ariel Sharon on the scene and after 2005, of course, and the withdrawal from Gaza. There's, I mean, I don't think Israelis have uh, much stomach at this point for peace with a partner that has no interest in peace. You have to keep, when, when you talk to people in America who are very ill-informed of this, but have enough information on their head to be, you know, decked out in <laughs> kafias that they ordered on Amazon... To have them say that they don't believe, and this has happened to me a number of times recently, that Israel should exist. I mean, trying to correct what Mm -hmm. they believe to be a mistake of history Mm -hmm. in the Nakba of 1948 is that the the idea is to take a state, a very successful state. I mean, the GDP in Israel was pretty much nothing and in the 1950s and the 1960s, and then it became an absolute powerhouse and is, as Dan Senior says in his book, the startup nation. And it's a very, very impressive country. Tel Aviv is a very cosmopolitan, very impressive city. Um, everything is very well put together and built. It feels like a European city. It probably feels like what Beirut felt like in the 60s or something before it was destroyed by um, its insane uh, civil war too. Mm-hmm. But the idea to just take it away just eliminate it. And where do these people go? I saw someone saying, well, go back to they've where from, they came yeah, from. Most yeah. of these people they've have lived come there from for Israel. generations. They're Israelis. Yeah. Generations, they're there. And, or from the Middle East where they can't go back. And for the other, the other Nakba, the other um, population transfer in 1948 with people out, Israelis out of Arab countries that came for salvation and protection in Israel. I mean, you see the third, fourth day of this um, after, after the seventh, uh, you know, uh, 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 I was going to say a mosque, mm-hmm. a synagogue in Tunisia burned to the ground, just set on fire and burned to the ground. It's like, well, that's because Israelis bombed the hospital. So yeah, that's right. That's right. That's because we all, because the New York times, that's why that happened. But it is astonishing to see this. And look, I mean, you say things about Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine suffered yesterday its biggest day, mm. single day of shelling by the Russians this year. I mean, it's just absolute, I mean, all across 
communities and people dying and no one gives a fuck about this. And the people who are so strained about civilian casualties in, in Gaza are the people that say, well, you know, NATO shouldn't have said that they were going to move east. I mean, you understand that, right? I mean, the level of debate, which is like some vague Jim Baker conversation to them is enough that, well, you know, you don't understand why they're blowing up, you know, residential buildings in various places so, in Ukraine. It's so unidirectional, the idea of, well, what yeah. did you expect? What did you expect? What did you expect? You know, and, and if you believe, and this is the, uh, well, we can get off the subject or go home or whatever, but if you believe that Israel is the responsibility, they hold the responsibility of every single death in the region, in the occupied territories, in the West Bank and Gaza, in Israel itself, since 1948. I will ask you, when I said something about the Lebanese civil war, you know, who killed Rafiq Hariri? I mean, let's just look at the region and look at the Iran-Iraq war, look at the, the, the wars within Iraq, whether it's the Kurds and the Sunnis and the Shia, et cetera. Look at, the, you know, the Houthis in Yemen, the forces fighting in Yemen, the Saudis on one side, the Iranians on the other side. If, like, think of a place, I mean, Syria, this a mix of insane people that have been destroying Syria all because of Bashar al-Assad, I'll say. But since, you know, you know, for a, a decade now, I mean, are you fucking kidding me? Take Israel out of it. You think that this, these confessional fights between like these schismatic versions of Islam and whether it's Sunni and Shia, and, you know, they, they get together, by the way. They, they become friends when they have to destroy Israel. <laughs> whether the Sunnis in, in, in Gaza can get together with, with the Shia in Iran or whatever it might be. But this stuff is pretty common in the region. Uh, it's not common in Central America, South America, Europe, North America, even Asia. It's not common. Like, you have these. But it's just a region inflamed all the time remove Israel from that equation and you think everything goes, everyone's really happy and I'm sure there's a lot of people to be very happy, but everything goes quiet and goes calm. No, I think that there is something that is broken in this type of political Islam that has, you know, we care about people dying there and I think everybody should, um, civilians in Gaza, etc. The number of people you can find, spend 10 minutes, ladies and gentlemen, go to memory, go to a million other places, if you have the, the right keywords and search this, of that, you know, that we love death more than you love life. The idea that somebody dying is, I mean, watch FOTA when these people say, I'm going to become a suicide bomber. Like, are you nervous? You're, no, no, this is great. I'm, I'm, this is for Allah. This is to be a Shaheed. This is to be a hero to the community. When death is not, when you take death away, as something that might, you know, you know, impede your movement. Uh, you know, you don't go into certain areas because you're going to die. This might be it's very dangerous in this area. I'm not going to go here, I might die. When you take that fear out of people and make that a, not, you know, something that they're, they're sort of moderate about, when you take that fear away from people and you make it into a sort of prize, a religious prize, that there is salvation for you when you mm. do die, it's a very, very hard enemy to fight against because nobody wants to give up. They don't want to raise their hands. You know, if you are a member of Hamas, you don't, that's when you see these guys that have been captured um, being interrogated, you usually don't get that far. 
you know, in the in a situation where they will go down fighting because it's a they believe in that principle of being a martyr and a religious martyr. That's a really hard enemy to fight against. You can get people to surrender when they don't want everybody in their army or anybody in the, everybody in their civilian populations to die. When you have people that are don't really care about that or are a little blithe about it, it's a much harder fight. You know, and that's what we're seeing. There's no the ceasefire doesn't exist. Not do you at think that do you yeah. think Hamas wants Not a ceasefire when they're going on TV saying we're going to do this every day if we can? I mean, I am objectively pro ceasefire. I agree. Every, I think that's I, a logical place to be. Seriously, I agree with the protesters um, in Brooklyn and elsewhere. I want a ceasefire, and for me, ceasefire means they release all of the hostages and they stop firing bombs into rockets into Israel. Um, then we can talk. That sounds like a like, mm-hmm. like yeah. You have to have fruitful. a negotiation for it for a, for a ceasefire. That's the, but that's that's that is the ceasefire. You are in engaging in war by having kidnapped hostages yeah. um, and by firing rockets. Yeah. Um, the ceasefire is you stop both of those things today yeah. and Israel stops bombing you and maybe stops doing whatever. Those are interesting to talk about, but that's not what 95% of the people who are screeching about ceasefire are actually advocating. No. They want Israel to stop responding. Correct. Because you will kill people when you respond. And that's the unfortunate part of war. And if you don't want that unfortunate bit, uh, tell the people that you um, pretend to love so much to um, to stop precipitating these things by killing civilians. Like, deliberately, this is our goal, killing civilians. No. I don't know why this is hard to understand. But yeah. okay. people disagree. Um, <sighs> all right. Okay. Well, we started off in a very different tone. We did. We did. We and tried. You know Here, here's what I'll do. Um, this week, I um, actually have somewhat exciting news in that a project that, that I've been working on for a very long time uh, is finally, oh, right. finally arrived. Um, and this week, uh, I'm very ha- pleased to announce that a project I was working on with the Templeton Foundation and my team over at Freethink Big Think, which is my, my previous day job. I'm still on the board. I'm still, you know, founding partner, et cetera, et cetera. And I am the host of a new show. It's uh, described as a podcast, but there is a pretty, pretty sufficient, sophisticated and robust video offering as well, which is immediately available um, over on YouTube. Um, and Wait, is the first episode available? The first episode is available. Yes. Oh, um, the look show, at that. The show is called Dispatches from the Well. The Well is a publication um, that uh, the Templeton Foundation has pr- began producing um, in partnership with our team over at Big Think. And this is a seven-episode series, uh, and it details my own journey to try and better understand um, the the cosmos itself, uh, how it works, and uh, why it, it's here at all. Um, and as Matt Welch has suggested, this is almost certainly, at least in part, a function of some sort of midlife crisis. So it's appropriate that yesterday was my my birthday perhaps. Um, but it, it was a hell of a lot of fun to make. And I am, I am enormously proud of the work that we've done. Right, well, I'm going to link this. We will in. link to the trailer. Yes. So please. Uh, no, I'll link to the episode one. Watch the episode as well. Well, I want you to watch both things. I want you to watch them multiple okay. times and share them with your friends. So the view count goes up. Um, so it's clear that there is an appetite for this kind of content. It, it is, as I tweeted, um, I think yesterday, you know, a time when Things feel pretty awful and out of control um, where it, it seems that we are divided 
um, over just about everything in kind of irreconcilable ways. Um, but this show is ultimately about the miraculous fact um, of our existence in the cosmos, this kind of improbable um, and extraordinary thing. And um, it, it deals with a bunch of interesting existential questions and introduces you to a host of brilliant people, um, some of whom are scientists of various stripes, but also some interesting people who do other things beyond science, because I'm not a scientist and I get to talk about this stuff. So why not talk to interesting people um, like um, Terry Crews and Fred Armisen and a bunch of other interesting people. Steve, Steve Albini. Steve Albini, um, who is, is really cool. Steve, Steve Albini is super duper cool and has so many interesting things to say on so many topics. And I'm not going to spoil any did, of it just yet. I will wait a couple did you, of episodes did you to know, spoil things. Did, did you know who he was? Before, before, before we started doing the project and someone said, we should talk to Steve Albini. Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> the the, the only thing not. that Camille knew after this was, <laughs> was like, that what? was that he he didn't take points on the Nirvana. Yeah, well, like, that's what I knew going into the room. <laughs> yeah, he didn't take points on it because he was like, I think it's wrong. Yeah. He was like, that guy would be so rich yeah. if he decided, and he still defends it. He was on. Yeah, I think he said. Um, I think he said it was morally indefensible. To yes, take, uh, he's to he take said royalties the on the Nirvana album that he he produced. is on. He is on uh, Conan's podcast mm-hmm. like last week. Oh, is he with with Chris Novoselic? Did he mention and Dave Grohl? We're, oh, we're really? Uh, talking, yeah, talking <laughs> about the anniversary of Nevermind, I think. And Albini's on it, and they talk about the points thing. And he's like, really? He's like, I have absolutely no regrets. These guys made this record. Mm-hmm. I get paid for coming in doing the record. The fact that I would get paid for this forever is stupid. And I disagree with him actually, but I think it's really admirable that he does. <laughs> it's a it's a super blue collar take. It I, is a very blue collar. I did take. a job. Yeah, yeah. I did a yeah. job was as an engineer and as a technician. Um, and I have to say this that I'm going to post this link to both the trailers mm-hmm. so you can see some little clips of the future episodes and episode one mm-hmm. um, of uh, this quote unquote podcast, which doesn't it's it's it's, it's a TV show. <laughs> it's it's a TV show. It's beautiful. And the first minutes, and I'm yeah. and I'm scrubbing through it, mm-hmm. and I want to say that about. Three minutes into oh, this, your cameos. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no. Oh, Three minutes into this yeah. is your beautiful daughter's yes. cameo. Yeah, Leah makes. She a, is, Leah makes an appearance. through it. She jungle. is adorable and as cute as ever. Yeah. And then right after that, there <laughs> is a about Cohen picture as well. Three yeah. three minutes of uh, the fifth column podcast. Yes, in yeah. there. Um, uh, Sun's out, guns out. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> well, I was drinking whiskey in a drinking whiskey in a, in a hotel. Yeah, we shot yeah. that in the same room that we did the um, the Jane Goodall interview. Yeah, yeah. She didn't know I was going to be there. No. She, I don't think she's a fan of mine. <laughs> I um, don't know. Maybe she is. Jane, well, no, Jane so Goodall. She, she turned eighty nine. I think the day yeah, before we recorded together. Yeah. And I mean, she is so remarkably sharp. I mean, it just just yeah. startlingly. Um, Did you make a run? Thoughtful and. <laughs> Did, you throw a punch? Did you throw a punch at her? No, no, I didn't. See if you like block, She might have, she might have taken me down. She took the steps from her floor up to my floor in the um, in the hotel. And when her handlers came to get her later, and she has to have handlers because she has an incredibly intense schedule, and getting her in the room with us was actually really, really challenging. Uh, but we finally managed to do it. And as soon she spent an hour talking to me. A little more than an hour, actually. She stayed over without any complaint whatsoever, um, and and permitted it. I was I was trying to be thoughtful, um, and um, at the end of the time, her handler comes to get her and says, uh, "Yeah, you ready to go? We got another thing, like right now." Um, and she says, "We're we gonna take stairs," and didn't even seem to think that Jane would want to. And Jane was like, "Sure, let's do it." 
Yeah. I mean, taking the stairs at 89, keeping up a schedule that has you on the road like 90% She's of the year, remarkable. just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so many great people, so many people I could thank, uh, the entire team um, at Templeton um, and uh, the team at Freethink. Um, uh, a couple of names to mention, Brandon Chandler, Jason Mojica, who's a, a good friend of Moynihan's and mm-hmm. um, veteran, veteran uh documentarian brought a lot to mm-hmm. the table so i was happy to have him on board and um great yeah it's comic just great books mm-hmm. or yes as well. yeah that's right kids comics yeah. and uh, kids comics hey kids comics you stop by if in, you're over in, in williamsburg in greenpoint, or yeah. greenpoint greenpoint yeah. greenpoint okay yeah. i've been over there yeah stop by yeah. harass him and his staff um so yeah please check it out and uh it'll make you feel good i, I think it really really will and by the end of it you'll be a theist that's that's the goal. It is propaganda. <laughs> is it's religious propaganda. Is that what happened? Oh my goodness! Joke. I didn't I'm, know that. I'm kidding. That is a joke for my friend Sam Harris. Are you now a sixth day? <laughs> that is a joke. Yeah, he's a ninth day. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye. We, we, we know Bye. Of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column.